in times of trouble. Psalm 49, give your attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of the Lord will endure forever. Psalm 49, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names." Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. And as far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Go to then the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Matthew, chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. Jesus has instructed his disciples and through them us, his people, his church, that the church will undergo difficulty and strife. And he, be, he continues by saying these words. Give your attention once again to God's holy word. Verse 26 through the end of the chapter. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray once more. So great God, what we know not, teach us. And what we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your Son's sake. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the more interesting side stories in the Gospel of John is that of Nicodemus. Three accounts, really, that we we find Nicodemus mentioned. The, the first is the most famous. He comes to Jesus under the cover of night, curious and yet filled with, with doubt, not, certainly not giving himself to Christ at that time. Jesus teaches him about being born again, about spiritual rebirth, about uh, believing in his name. That's where we have that very famous summary of the gospel in John chapter 3. John chapter 7 is the second place where Nicodemus shows up. There, Jesus has proclaimed something very controversial, controversial, which is similar to what we find him say here in our passage today. He, he asserts himself as a hinge point of blessedness, of eternal life. And this is one of the ways that Jesus affirms his deity. He basically says, those who, who come to me, who give themselves to me, I will give eternal blessedness. And in John 7, he says, everyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This causes no small division amongst uh, the Israelites. The Pharisees basically want to arrest Jesus. Certainly at that point, are already thinking about putting him uh, to death. Nicodemus stands up for him. There are those who say, no, this is the prophet who was to come, who has been promised. And Nicodemus stands in the middle, appealing to those who want to arrest him. says, this man deserves a hearing and a trial. If he makes these claims, we ought to take a look at what he does and, and, and who he is. So we see a development there in the character of Nicodemus. And then John chapter 19, the third place where Nicodemus is mentioned, after the crucifixion, he helps Joseph of Arimathea. He brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to dress uh, the body of Jesus and helps do that after the crucifixion. It's not perfectly clear uh, what Nicodemus believes at that point, but certainly John is portraying him favorably there in the Gospel of John. Nicodemus has gone from timidly curious the sort of nervously maybe defending Jesus to then, at the, by the end of the gospel, much more willing to own him and to bear the scorn that would be associated with being one of Jesus' followers. And we can only imagine what happened to Nicodemus after the resurrection of Christ. Nicodemus is someone we can all learn from. He's also someone to whom we relate. We, we relate to Nicodemus as we think about all of these things. We see in ourselves tentativeness, timidness when it comes to 
to Christ and our faith, a hesitancy to embrace what it means to truly follow Jesus with all that we are. In chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has said the church will be a pilgrim people, a persecuted people. They will be a people without a true home in this world who will find it difficult to live out the life that we are called to live. But we learn from Nicodemus that if we come to Jesus, as he did first under the cover of night, probably wanting to hide what he was doing, but if we come to Jesus and continue to come to him, our strength and our boldness for him will grow. This is, of course, not growing in our own strength. It's growing in the strength that God gives to us by his grace. Matthew Henry said that the, the, the grace, which is at first like a bruised reed, may afterwards become like a strong cedar, and the trembling lamb as bold as a lion. So our central idea this morning, the life-transforming reality, is that if we abide in Christ, if we continually give ourselves to him, he will make bruised reeds like strong cedars. He will make trembling lambs as bold as lions, so that we would be the church and the disciples of Jesus that the world will see. The way we've arranged uh, the sermon this morning, you'll see it in your bulletin. There are there's scare quotes around see his disciples. We're going to look at characteristics, five characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ, of his disciples, and all of those characteristics begin with the letter C. I give a little pun there, see his disciples. All of these are uh, beginning with the letter C. The first two are related very closely, courage and confidence, courage and confidence. Jesus calls us to not fear or perhaps even to stop fearing in these first five verses. Natural that Jesus would speak about these things again because what have we learned about what the church is? The church will be a, a, a persecuted people. They will undergo difficulty and strife. They will be hunted down. They will be flogged, Jesus even says, in, in the courts of, uh, of the Israelite synagogues and temple. And so Jesus furnishes us with these three very important truths to combat our sinful fear. It was the Puritan pastor, uh, John Flavel, who said sinful fear is, is basically the product of ignorance. If we knew all of the things that God has given to us for our good, then we would not be plagued by sinful fear. So Jesus teaches us these three things, and he wants us to know them in order to combat our sinful fear, fear of being ostracized, fear of suffering loss because of Christ, fear of being persecuted because we follow Jesus. Jesus teaches us these things. The first uh, comfort against our fear is that the truth will out. Verse 26, have no fear of them, that is those who would persecute you, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, God will reveal something. God will make things known, and what he will make known is basically the truth. As God's people, we are to have an unwavering commitment that at the last day, the truth will be made clear. The truth will be made known. And so that's an antidote to fear because we are called to be courageous, to live by the truth, and also, more particularly, as the church, to proclaim the truth. Remember what Jesus says there in verse 27, so what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. 
the apostles, those who, who followed Jesus and helped establish the church, what they had heard Jesus say to them, they then went out into the world and proclaimed it openly. There's a sense in which that aspect of the, the apostles' ministry was more open and direct than even when Jesus was walking on the earth. And that is what the church is to do, to openly, without apology, with boldness, proclaim the truth. And we are to live by the truth as well, and we are not to be fearful because we know that at the last day, when all things are set right, it will be the truth that is vindicated. What is the truest thing that we can say? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is Lord. Christ is Savior. Christ is reigning and ruling. Christ is coming again. When the church proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church proclaims that which is most true in all of the universe. And so we are to be bold and to live now on the side of truth, for the truth will one day be vindicated. Secondly, Jesus says, do not fear men, fear the one who holds your eternal destiny. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a contrast here between the many who can destroy the body. That's nothing remarkable. But there is one who holds sway over the physical, the material, and the spiritual. One, and that, of course, is God alone. Now, why is this an antidote to fear? And in some sense, we're filled with a, with, a, with a holy fear, hopefully, understanding and knowing that we give ourselves to God as the one who holds sway over our spiritual selves, over our eternity. But it is an antidote to fear because we understand and know what God has promised us in his word. That the one who is in control of all things visible and invisible has acted for our good and for our salvation. So you find throughout, sprinkled throughout the scriptures in places like Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? A New Testament twin of that would be uh, Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? And thus we know that God is for us because of the way he has accomplished our salvation and our redemption. There are many times when uh, the life of the church is afflicted, where it's in a very weak position. There are many times when, when Christians are assailed with various things, afflicted with various things. It could be slander uh, for bearing the name of Christ. Uh, it could be uh, walking through this life in faithfulness to Jesus through great physical trials and, and sicknesses. There are many times when the church appears very weak, but their life is hidden. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We're just about to start seeing the, the trees and the plants bloom and blossom. I know we're, we're all anxious for that. But in the winter time, you look around, you see all of the trees, and, and they shed their leaves, and they look as good as dead, don't they? They look as good as dead. There's really nothing there that would make you think there's any vitality to it. But there is a life that is hidden in the root. In January and February, most of those trees out there are just as alive as they will be in June and July. Their life is hidden in the root. And our life as the church of Jesus Christ is hidden with Christ in God. Oftentimes, we appear very weak to the world. 
but we are just as alive as we ever could be for our life is hidden with Christ in God. Do not fear, man. Fear the one who holds your eternity in his hands. And then thirdly, not just courage, but confidence. Be filled with confidence that uh, your heavenly Father is in control of all things and that he works them together for your good. This is something that we affirm very often. Heidelberg, question and answer one, affirms this very thing. But here, Jesus uh, causes us to think about something very specific. We maybe have this idea in our minds, in our hearts, that God only cares about the big things. God only cares about uh, the important people of the world. Jesus combats that directly by saying, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, there is not one movement of an atom in this universe that is outside of God's sovereign control. And the one who loves you, the one who is your father, is in control of all things and has promised to work all things together for your good. Therefore, you are to be filled with not only courage, but confidence. This is a wonderful antidote to fear. Fear in the midst of suffering. Fear in the midst of the possibility of suffering. Fear in the midst of the reality of how the church is to walk through this world as a pilgrim and a persecuted people. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Is God faithful? Is he the faithful creator? Have we entrusted our souls to him? Do we entrust all that we are to the one who is in control? Though Jesus says his church, his people, though they face the reality of persecution and affliction, they will be courageous and they will be confident only by his grace. And we'll talk about that as we move on. Next, they are confessing people. They are confessing and professing people. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father is, who is in heaven. We need to see, really, the stunning part of what Jesus does here. Uh, a New Testament scholar, Ned Stonehouse, says that Jesus makes one's entire position in eternity one's entire position in the world to come, rest upon their relationship with and attitude towards him. In other words, Jesus says, the, the, the one thing that matters for your eternity, for your eternal blessedness, is your attitude towards me and your relationship with me. It's a stunning thing. So it's impossible to overemphasize what Jesus is talking about here. This is really our whole life, if we are to get one thing in this life and in this world, it would be to grasp what Jesus is saying here. So to acknowledge Jesus, to confess Jesus, to profess Jesus, we cannot overemphasize its importance. What does it mean? Well, it means, quite literally, to say the same thing, which is kind of a, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Do we, in our hearts, as believers, as Christians, do we say the same thing as Jesus? Christians are not really spiritual inventors, are they? We're followers. We're followers of what Jesus has said and what he has laid down and what God's word declares to us. We say the same thing, that Christ is Lord, that he is our Savior. 
It also means to agree or to affirm or to submit to a proposal. All of these things are what we do both when we formally profess our faith and in the ongoing profession of our faith that we live out. In our lives, we seek to say the same thing as Jesus with our mouths and with our lives. When we profess our faith, we agree that all that he has said is true. We affirm that all he has said is true. We submit to the proposal of the gospel that we have repented of our sins and we believe in Christ as our Savior. We do all of those things. But notice also the simplicity of what Jesus says here. What is he alluding to? He's alluding to the day of judgment. He's alluding to the last day. And if there is a moment in time that we should all keep in our minds, and everyone throughout the world ought to keep in their minds, it's this, that one day we will stand before our Maker. One day we will stand before our Creator. And on that day, there will be all kinds of emotions flying around in the hearts of men and women. And when you're in a desperate situation, what is it that you are, are, are most likely to do? You're most likely to look around for help. You want someone to say something on your behalf. You want some, someone to do something on your behalf. And Jesus gives us this priceless promise, this precious and beautiful promise that for those who confess him, on that day, when you stand before your maker, the eternal son of God, the one who is more beautiful than anything in this universe, he will speak your name to his father. There is no promise anywhere that you can find in this world that is more precious than that. So what does it mean to confess Jesus? It means simply to believe in him, to trust in him. Well, what we have here is a stunning, a stunning affirmation of salvation by grace alone. On that day, it will not be, whether or not you enter into eternal blessedness, it will not be judged upon your works, your own righteousness, the, the, the filthy rags that, that cover you but it will be whether or not Jesus looks upon you and says, he or she has believed in me, has confessed me. He's mine. He's mine. And he speaks your name to the Father. What a wonderful thing. Maybe you grew up and have lived an unremarkable life. Maybe you live here in little old South Holland, Maybe many things in your life have been very painful. Maybe there have been many experiences that you don't like to remember or think back upon. Maybe, they, maybe you don't have connections that allow you to ascend throughout, the, throughout the, the, the world or gain a better job or a better standing in society. On the last day, if you profess Jesus Christ, if you confess him, he will confess you to his Father the most famous, the most beautiful, the most glorious one, will say your name. You stand for Jesus, and he stands for you. This is what Stephen experienced in Acts, in Acts 7. As he was being martyred, he looks up into heaven, and he sees Jesus standing, the only place where we find Jesus standing in, in the New Testament. And so we are called to not be ashamed of him. That's what, what Jesus is calling us to. 
We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. We are not to be ashamed of the cross. We are not to be ashamed to walk through this world bearing the name of Jesus Christ. And the blessing that issues forth from that is that those who are not ashamed share in the glory of eternal blessedness. Now, Peter, one of the most famous of the apostles and uh, a co-author of the New Testament, he did deny Jesus. So there is grace here. There is forgiveness. But we must confess Jesus Christ. We must believe on him. We must speak his name. We must be unashamed to own him to a watching world. I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause, maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Jesus, my God, I know his name. His name is all my trust, nor will he put my soul to shame, nor let my hope be lost. That's the great hope of the gospel, that he will not put our souls to shame who are not so ashamed as to speak his name. Then he will own my worthless name before his Father's face, and in the new Jerusalem, Appoint my soul a place. So, brothers and sisters, do we stand for him? Do we acknowledge, do we confess, do we profess him? The hinge point of eternity rests on that. Do you stand for him in your heart? Do you stand for him in your life? Do you stand for him with your mouth as you are given opportunity? The strength to do this does not come from you. Again, God will make a bruised reed like a strong cedar. He will make a timid lamb like, like a bold lion, something like Nicodemus, something like the 11 apostles who, who ran basically in fear when Jesus was crucified, and yet after the resurrection all die a martyr's death. We are to be confessing and professing, unashamed of our Savior. We stand not in our strength. We stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Next, the next characteristic. Those who are the church of Jesus Christ are committed. They're committed to his supremacy. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, Jesus is not saying that we are to denigrate family or reject family. He is, to say, he is saying that we are to love him uh, supremely above all things. We are to be willing to suffer loss because of Christ. And if we were to lose everything for the sake of Christ, we would still stay with our Savior. There will be loss for many in coming to Jesus. You give thanks if you've, if you've not had to suffer much loss for Christ. But you need to be willing to, to suffer loss for him. The loss of a job, the loss of friends, the loss of family that loves you. These are not easy things to think about. Many people face these difficulties. But believing everything we know about Jesus Christ, where else would we go? Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. If the world leaves Jesus, we stay with Jesus. So we're committed to the supremacy of Christ. We're also committed to the call of self-denial. Those who stand for Jesus, those who confess him, must count the cost. They count the cost of what they need to give up, in suffering loss for Christ, but they count the cost of not confessing him. As we remember those words, those who do not acknowledge me, I will not acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 
What does it mean then to lose your life? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are some people who lose their life for Christ. But all are called to take up their cross. All are called to deny themselves, to die to self. We lose our lives when we follow Jesus. We must go to war against our flesh. We must lay down our prerogatives. We must strive to have our minds formed by God's word, not by our own opinions or ideas. We must seek to have our sin lay dead at our feet. We must seek that Christ would be formed in us, that it would be no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We die to ourselves, each and every one of us. And whoever loses his life will find it for Christ's sake. We are committed committed to the supremacy of Christ, and committed to self-denial and self-sacrifice. And then finally, the church of Jesus lives a consecrated life. We live lives characterized by receiving Christ's word and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and seeking good to do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Again, as the disciples were going through uh, the, the world, the known world, and beginning to proclaim Christ, if people received them, it was to receive their message. And Jesus pronounces blessing upon them. Today, uh, as the church, we are to sit under the preaching of the word of God and to receive it as God's word and to live according to it, understanding and knowing that this is how God has willed to form us. So receive the word of God as it is proclaimed in the presence of his people faithfully. Not only that, but we are to have a closeness with fellow believers. The one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. This is especially wonderful for those who lose family in coming to Christ. We are to do good to all people, especially fellow believers. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. We are to live consecrated lives. If we would be all of these things, committed, consecrated, confessing, courageous, confident, we must do as Nicodemus did on that night when he was most timid. We must come to Jesus in and through the gospel of grace alone. We must rely upon him. We must entrust our souls to him. And if we come to him in faith and repentance and reliance, he will create in us all of these things, courage, confidence, a confessing heart, commitment to Jesus' supremacy, commitment to dying to self, a consecrated life that receives the word and loves our fellow Christians with fierce zeal for God's glory. We strive for these things, but we understand that it comes through the strength that God gives to us. It comes through his grace. It comes as a blessing through faith. May we come to Christ then, perhaps timid, but come to him, knowing that he makes bruised reeds like strong cedars, timid lambs, bold like lions. May we grow in our love for Christ, our devotion to him, and also perhaps our boldness that we would live out in our lives our profession that we would speak the name of Jesus as we are given opportunity, that God would be glorified in and through his church, only for his glory and by his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for uh, your word. Ask that you would form it in us by your grace. We thank you for Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king, our Savior. We pray that we would not be ashamed to own him, to own him in life and heart and mouth. 
for your glory and by uh, his work. Through his name we pray. Amen. Number 505.